Hello and welcome to the Rope Report Lasses podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen and her game to the campaign against sexism and misogyny in football. My name's Rich Spate and I am joined for this very special interview podcast by the man who who basically runs Sunderland AFC Women. Got Alex Clark, the general manager of the Lasses, on the line for a chat this afternoon. So how are you this afternoon, Alex? Yeah, good. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having us on. Um, just a, another busy day here at the academy, um, but all good. That's good to know. It's good to know everyone's everyone's busy as it should be, uh, even though we're we're in the middle of a, an international break. I'm sure there's lots lots going on down there. Um, but let's let's fly straight into it. And obviously, it's been a, a reasonably difficult start to the season for Sunderland. Four league games with only a draw, only a point to our name, and then the Conti Cup game, obviously against Liverpool, which we was very narrowly lost one nil. But we've come up against five pro teams this season, as Mel would say. It's been a, a tough start. How's mor- morale amongst the, the group right now after that kind of really tough start to the season? Yeah, I think morale, morale's still good. I think there's been loads of positives in the game, possibly with the exception of the Birmingham one, which I think, if we're all being honest, was a bit of a, a write-off. But morale's good. There's been loads of positives. I think it's probably one of frustration more than anything. You look at the Liverpool game, we've played well for a lot of the game against the Super League side, haven't conceded a goal in open play. It's been a set piece that if, that they've had to score from to get the victory. You look at the Charlton game, took the lead uh, twice in the game, and we just haven't we haven't seen it out. Bristol again, another top side. Narry defeated 1-0, their we'll, we'll only real chance of the game. And then you look at the Durham, the Durham one, the Derby, Particularly the opening 45 minutes played really well, conceded, got the equaliser there. I think Brianna, if I remember correctly, with the goal. Yes, it's one of frustration where we're just not quite getting over the line, but plenty of positives in the in the performances. No panic stations yet in terms of the the league table. It, it is pretty early, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's early days. At the end of the day, we, we we trust the players, we trust the process. We know we'll know there'll be other tests along the way, but we'd be more worried if the performances weren't there. But the performances have been have been improving. We've improved on the squad from last season, and we, it's just those fine margins. And if we can turn the fine margins the other way into our favour, potentially we could have been sitting here with, with maybe maybe five points as opposed to opposed to one point. So no panic stations from our point of view at all at the minute. Certainly. Um, and those fine margins, obviously, a lot of times they come down to what's done off the pitch, don't they? And and those kind of marginal gains that I'm sure yourselves and, 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 and Mel and Steph are, are working on. But you've, you've got you've had some job adverts out there for a while for some new members of the backroom team there. You've recruited and, and um, announced John O'Craig as a new goalkeeping coach and then there's going to be a new analyst, a new sports therapist, physio. Can you give us an update about really why those roles were chosen for investment in and and, and why John O in particular was, was brought in? Yeah, so the, the goalkeeping role obviously it's a vital one in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, got two really good first team goalkeepers and, and two goalkeepers with women's under 23s team as well. So yeah, John who interviewed, interviewed really well, got experience in the game, worked with Hibs women. Uh, it was actually down in the summer when we played Hibs in the friendly. Had experience at Barnsley, a variety of clubs in Scotland and also real Kashmir. So yeah, Jonathan uh, interviewed 
interview really well and has, has started this week in the role and at the time of this recording will take his, his first training session to, today. Lovely. And and what's the uh, the analyst going to be doing? Is, is that somebody to sit within the kind of the wider analytics and data team at the club? Yeah. So the the an- analysts and data team they all they all sit together as as a, as a unit, if you like. So mm-hmm. the nine to sixteens analysts, the eighteens, twenty threes, and first team, so on. So when that person's recruited, they'll sit within that department, but it'll be there specifically for it melts uh, steps to disposal. Um, so their role will be very much focusing on opposition, how they set up mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit of um, recruitment potentially, our post game analysis is how we've played, and then one also the, the crucial bits as well is is um, breaking that down into into units. So working with the back four, working with the midfield players, working with the forwards, and then breaking that down into vid- individuals as well. Software that we use, we can actually pinpoint players down into like specific actions so we'll we can break it down and know that a specific player has played a specific pass we can pull all that data up so they'll have a real focus on providing that information uh, not only Mount Steph but also the players as well that's really good and um, obviously you're recruiting a physio as well it, it does make me think about some of the the injuries in the squad Emily Hutchinson how 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 close is she are we going to see a you know, before Christmas, or is she still still a long term injury at the club? Probably one that the medical department answer better, but I think with her and Abby, it's it's progressing really well. They're on track to probably post Christmas, but I mm-hmm. think it's some involvement this season is probably the time scales we're looking at. But at the minute, Touchwood they've had they've had a rehab that that's going really well. Um, we've had no no setbacks as such so yeah it's really positive it's, it's it's just one of those where it's a case of it's just time it's it's kind yeah. of yeah can't rush them yeah exactly absolutely and uh and how's fear after the uh after coming off uh the, the other day will she be a, a long-term thing or is it just a, a knock it's a bit of a wait and see on fear so she's been assessed just had an initial scan and knee's still quite swollen so it's probably one that we'll know more of next week when everything's settled down and we've had a chance to properly look and assess yeah definitely and then there's the the other roles really so you've got an engagement and marketing role and a commercial role and they'll report directly to you is that right yeah so in terms of the structure so every one kind of sort of within the women's domain sits sits under myself, but then they'll, they'll have those specialisms. For example, I'm not the best person to ask how to edit a video if you if you like. Mm-hmm. So they'll have the the expertise of others in the club. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's one of those where we felt that the certain roles where they were they're being carried out by other people within the business, so where they were combined it maybe alongside an academy rule or or a men's rule, and by having someone exclusively working on the women's game in those two rules, the commercial and the uh, engagement, it'll just allow a greater focus, it'll allow more contact time around the players in terms of creating engaging content um, and it'll allow for more consistency as well in terms of what we produce so rather than having um, a collective of people if you like, it'll be, be those specific individuals yeah. sort of owning that area and then ultimately reporting it to me um, but liaising with other colleagues as well. How important is it that the people that you recruit into those roles are actually kind of really knowledgeable and passionate about women's football in particular? Is that something that you're actually really looking for, someone who 
kind of really gets the slightly different audience that that we have in in women's football yeah massively i think if you look at the commercial role i think there's potentially a lot of sponsors out there but actually are they the right fit for a women's football team so it's in that role you need someone that's really clued up on women's sport women's football and it's a massive growth sector now uh, as Mm -hmm. as you know uh, on the back of the euros so we need someone that knowledge as well that actually we're we're future proofing this so we're not we're not signing multi-year contracts that then undervalue ourselves so it's it's really vital that role has a an idea of the market um in terms of the engagement officer as well yeah women's football it's football at the end of the day but it, it has a different audience to to men's football so it's vital that that person gets that it's vital that they have an experience of engaging audiences, engaging different fan bases, both online, digitally and in person as as well. So to answer your question in a nutshell, yeah, it's crucial. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you touched on it there in terms of the growth, in terms of the Euros. I think there was a, a report out from the FA and UEFA just today about kind of some of the the massive financial and kind of economic impact that the Euros had. And I think it was saying like 80 plus percent of the people who watched on TV and who attended in in person at the Euros want to consume more domestic women's football. And obviously there was tens of thousands of people went to the games, hundreds of thousands of people went to the games all all together. So that's quite a big market. We've seen obviously record attendances at Arsenal in the in the WSL, Liverpool as well had huge crowd and and in our region you've had Durham setting attendance records at Maiden Castle, Newcastle pulling in thousands into Kingston Park. But would you admit that we haven't necessarily ridden that wave yet? And what do you think is behind maybe our modest crowd so far this season? I think, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think we haven't probably ridden that wave as such as others have. I think we've got to do more sort of off the field as as alluded to with, the, with those rules being advertised. I think we've got a passionate fan base that go and I think they're really key to spread the word I think for us we seem to have a lot of people that go will come back mm-hmm. I think we're retention we're retention's pretty good I think the Nottingham Forest friendly for example we did a bit of analysis just in terms of when the EPA announcer announced that season ticket cards were on sale um, from the start of the game to the end of the game we had a massive uptake and people buying them and then we're seeing them people come back to the games so I think we've got to make sure that the product's really good um, in terms of quality football quality experience um so obviously the covid restrictions have lifted that a little bit so we're now engaging the mascots the flag bearers again and but i think mainly we need to have that focus on getting new people new people in the game because i think you hear it time and time again with a women's game where it's like oh, once you go you kind of come back mm-hmm. so i think that's got to be one of our real focuses um i think there's challenges i think we we have a difficulty in that um we obviously play at Eppelin, so it's a little bit out of the city centre, so we'll try to work with sort of like heading school to get the car park to try and make that a little bit better, putting the supporters guide out in terms of buses and things like that. But yeah, I think the more we can engage, we've we've held a meeting today um, with some of our key partners and more will come out on that later this week or next week around driving attendances. So we're aware of the issue. I think we can do more. I think we've tried to run some initiatives in the past where season ticket holders can bring along a friend for free and that hasn't really turned turned up. But then we've done things like the Sunderland Network wrap and we've seen a rise in attendance there. So I think 
look, we're, we're in the second season of the Championship. Last year, we kind of tried some things. Some things worked, some things didn't work. We've now got a bit of a grasp of that. And it's kind of now for us, really, we need to push on and break on those things that will work. And the, the new engagement officer will be Kate getting those new people through the door. Definitely. definitely. Um, one thing that our writers and, and particularly our readers have, have asked us to ask about is is that Birmingham game, the doubleheader, which we spoke about, I think, in May when we spoke on the Twitter space. Um, it was an exciting idea then. Well, I'll ask you a direct question. Did you and the club see that as a success um, in terms of audience or was it was it a disappointment? What reflections have you and the club had on that day in general? Yeah, I think, yeah, you, you, you can't defend it indefensible. It was, um, for, for us, it was a disappointment. We were looking to get somewhere 5,000, 5,000 plus break the championship record. I think there was a number of factors. I think the amount of stuff we had to do behind the scenes to, to get the double header. So we had a liaise with opposition, the FL, Women's Championship, FA, broadcasters, loads of logistical issues and we, we seem to be getting somewhere and then there seemed to just be another consideration because it hadn't been done before. So I think it left us really tight with time in the lead up to it. So I think we probably didn't capitalise on the mark and opportunities the best we could because ultimately it wasn't too long a window um, to the game. I think it was a two-week announcement, something like that. I think that also then made it difficult because we still didn't have the final confirmations in place. We couldn't really get things like where we talked about getting engagement in the concourses, things mm-hmm. like that. So the, ty- the timing issue made it really difficult. I think as well, I think it was the week that Alex Neal left. That didn't help matters. The first men's first team obviously got beat and I think was, some people were, were leaving uh, sort of early and didn't stay, stay back we're going to stay back regardless. Mm-hmm. So I think a culmination of factors, I think it was one of them where we've tried it, it didn't work out. I think the an hour and a half gap was too long. Ultimately, we couldn't have done it any quicker because of turning around change rooms, turn around the pitch, sky de-rigging, things like that. So yeah, we tried it, we stuck my neck out. It didn't come off this time. I think if we were to do it again, I think we'd have to really evaluate kind of the pros, the cons, the what's and why's if you like. But on the one that we did, yeah, it was it was a it was a disappointment for us. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, and if you don't try these things you can't you you can't learn from them, can you? And and, and I'm sure that if and when we were back at the stadium we're like it'll they'll be uh it'll it'll be done differently. One of the other things that our readers have been asking about is the half past eleven kickoff time at Eppleton, which is um, half an hour before when Durham used to kick off, which they always they were always a twelve o'clock kick off. We last season we were two p.m. regularly on a Sunday. What were the reasons behind the move away from two p.m. and is is this subject to a review at at any point? So. There's a, f- there's a few, there's, a, there's an overarching reason for it, and then there's a, there's a few kind of sub-reasons, if you like. The, the sub-reasons are attendances were pretty low, so it was an opportunity to, to try something new. So in the area now, a lot of grassroots football is it on a Saturday morning. Uh, girls' grassroots, a lot of them play at the Washington Hub and the Russell Foster League. And then you've got a lot of the uh, adult teams, such as our Sunderland and 23s, playing in 
the Durham County Leagues, so the Northeast Region Leagues, and they're all kicking off at 2pm. So we're in direct competition to that. So a lot of people said that they would like to come and watch us, but they can only come and watch us if they don't have a game, if they're not playing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some feedback around that 2 o'clock is potentially too late in the day because it impacts on family time, going around with grandparents for Sunday dinner and mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, it was a decision based on that uh, on on that sense in terms of attendances to to try something new. Durham obviously kicked off at twelve o'clock. They've generally had good attendances. We've had some games at twelve in the past last season where we didn't see any significant dip. So there was that point of view to to move them forward. I think the the second element of that is obviously rising costs, floodlights, things like that. So um, it was to to consider that part because it's not only rising costs, it's it's usage as well. So that was a that was a bit of a factor behind it um, when we decided this. But the the main reason is it was it was players. Obviously, being a part time team, generally in the league, what generally happens is is that if if you do an early cook off at home. The other team will reciprocate that and do an early kick-off away. Sometimes there's some restrictions. So Bristol City, for example, they could only get their ground at 3 o'clock. So there's nothing kind of we, we could do about that. But, for example, when we play Southampton away, Lewis away, it's an early kickoff. Last season when we went to Lewis, uh, we didn't get back until sort of 2am in the morning. Yeah. Players are then getting up for work um, early next month. So it was basically, it, it was a player welfare decision. The players would rather have the early kickoff when they're away so to reciprocate that we did the early kickoff at home and then to create an element of consistency across all games rather than having half 11 one week one o'clock two o'clock and everyone not knowing where they were we decided to keep that sort of general ballpark between half 11 12 and 12 30 for, for the for the games for this season that makes a lot of sense uh, particularly with the reciprocation definitely but we do know that a, f- a few people are struggling to get to the the games that early, particularly if they're travelling from a long distance away. But one thing that we've seen this season is the the live streaming repeated again from that you did at the the Bristol game at the end of last season, and then we had at the Charlton game uh, this time round. Obviously, we had some technical issues against uh, Liverpool on Sunday, and I'm sure you are all running around trying to to turn things off and on again. Uh, all the way through the first half of that game. Why Why was Twitter chosen this season above uh, YouTube as the platform for, for streaming games? And are you at all concerned that maybe Twitter isn't available to or used by some of the key demographics, like kids in particular who can't have a Twitter account, you know, under-13s aren't allowed a Twitter account, and and some of the older fans who maybe aren't on social media but, but would be able to click a link and, and, and watch a, a YouTube maybe on their on their TV? Yeah, so, the, the, yeah, the, the streaming will be firstly in place at every game, except when the game is under embargo. So if it's a Saturday afternoon kickoff, as you've seen in the Birmingham game, and or if the game's live on the FA player, we can't show it. Mm-hmm. Or if we're the away club, we can't stream it as well. Um, but other than that, the game, the game will be... Be streamed. It's it's free to watch. Um, there's no there's no paywall behind it. We have we have um sponsors that are, that are funding that at the weekend issue was, as I say, it was a technical one. Um, it wasn't the platform that it was on or anything like that. It was purely feed from the camera mm-hmm. into into the uh, hub where the graphics and things are produced and the stream goes live. 
Twitter was chosen to create an element of consistency. So we now have the the academy account, which you've probably seen the women's account. So the idea mm. is that them games are streamed on there. But it, but it, it is feedback that we've had that YouTube would potentially be a good option as well. So we'll take that on board and, and, and look, at, look at that as well. And if it, if it gets more people watching it and we can facilitate that, then we'll try our best to do it. It was, it was nice early on in the season to have um, BBC Newcastle covering with the radio commentary as well. I was listening from, from the beach the afternoon when when we when we were getting beat by Birmingham actually, but it 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 is good to get that kind of exposure as well. Do you know if uh, BBC Newcastle are going to be covering the club anymore this season? And and if if they are, or even if they're not, have you looked at any other options like say, you know, providing a a commentary yourselves or working with a community radio station, maybe like Spark or someone someone like that, to to make sure that fans if they can't get to the game maybe can't sit watching their phone, but could, could maybe listen on the radio. Is that something that the club's looking at? Yeah, so um, I've had a conversation actually with Gary Bennett today, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> so quite on time, yeah. Something that BBC Newcastle are looking to do. They are going to actively promote our game against London City Lionesses as well. So yeah, BBC Newcastle are, are um, going to get down to get down to the games. Um, in terms of partnering with other radio stations that again would be something that the uh, new engagement officer would uh, potentially look at one thing that we have been discussing is kind of doing um some post-match reaction or pre-match reaction as well with um craig our pa announcer um so if there's an injured player for example during the warm-up um having that bit dialogue with the crowd interviewing some supporters that seen the team for a while and kind of putting that on our social platforms as well um, to do a bit of that pre and post match reaction um, both at the stadium at Evelyn and um, online oh, that'll, be re- that'll be really good I look forward to that because it's that kind of like storytelling isn't it and, and making people aware of who the players are and, and hearing their voices that can be really important something that's emerged the last couple of days that this kind of it, it does lead on to in terms of players' voice and the players in general and their welfare. Obviously, you will have been aware. Everyone in the game is aware of kind of some of the the stories coming out of France originally, and then the North American Women's Soccer League with the report that came out yesterday in terms of uh, abuse that's been suffered by players right right across from grassroots and youth football into into prof- in the professional game in North America. You know, stories in the past about how players in this country have been threat. And it was, it was something I just wanted to ask you about in terms of, like, how important safeguarding and ensuring that, that players have got somewhere where they can turn maybe slightly outside of the command structure in the club if they have any worries at any level, whether it's you know in in the age groups or, or in the first team, how does safeguarding work, and and is that something that you know you, you you're really working hard on? Because I know it's just a hot topic in the game, and I'm sure if there are any parents of you know young young players listening, they they would I'm sure be really assured to hear about. Yeah, I think um, the first thing to say is that we're we're, we're going to be recruiting a safeguarding and player welfare officer. Um, Brilliant. And this is this is in the pipeline, but before sort of this news have come out, um, this is actually a license uplift for all championship and super league clubs. Um, so it's something that's been on the ra- FA's radar for a while. So we'll be doing that. We we currently do have safeguard and player welfare resource at the club, 
but we will be putting more into it so that, that you have someone there specifically for the women's teams. I think as well, I think the players, they have access to psychologists at the club. So we have Tom Lishman, who's come on board this season um, purely for the women's team. Tom's a lecturer at uh, a university um, and he's doing some work with the players as well. Um, we have Greg Irvin, who's the, the club psychologist. In terms of general well-being, we now have uh, Emmy Campbell, who's the club's nutritionist. She's actually in the process of uh, getting, I think, somewhere between the region of eight to ten interns for all the clubs, all the clubs' teams as well, of which the women are part. So the women have had some support off Emmy. So, so from a psychological and nutrition perspective, you've obviously then got the S and C staff. You've got the the physio staff in terms of the rehabilitation and things like that. You've got the the private health care that, that the um, club provide. So there's also outside support in terms of occupational health. Club use a service called Recovery for Life, which employees, players have access to if they need that support away from the club. Mm-hmm. So there's a variety of support there for players. Um, it's something the club takes really seriously. And it's something, again, that we'll just look and look and expand on and improve our offering to the players. We're, we're trying to help with, with, with jobs uh, and part-time work. We're trying to help with careers advice, work experience, placement, shadowing, what it may be. So it's just not looking at people as footballers, but it's looking at them as people and trying to look after them as people first and foremost. And then that can all then support the football. That's that's really important, and it's re- it's really great to hear the like the massive range of stuff, and and I think again it's like one of the selling points of our club, isn't it? That 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 off the field support and the the whole kind of professional setup behind the scenes that we've got. It, no, it's really good to hear. The final question I've got really is more of a strategic, more of a long term one. Really, we've seen the DCMS launching the review of women's football under Karen Carney. That's undergoing. That's going currently how are well are the club and how are the club engaging in that process and how closely are you and the rest of the club working with the football association and the other clubs on any plans for a kind of expansion and reorganization of the professional leagues in the years ahead because it's going to be years, probably 2024 25 when the, the, there might be a window for expansion how, what what's your involvement in both of those kinds of processes um so in terms of the, the the review by Karen Carney, obviously that's just kind of just been announced. It's mm-hmm. sort of in its infancy. Um, as general managers, we've all been invited um, to preliminary meetings on that. And then um, I believe the intention is to invite players, club staff, so on and so forth. So um, it's something that all the clubs will heavily be getting involved in. In terms of liaising with the FA, the FA are... The games, the games growing at a rate of knots. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's supercharged. Um, so there's 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 meetings constantly taking place around pathways, around what the model looks like, in one year's time, two years time, ten years time, twenty years time. So these conversations are ongoing and evolving. And I, I think after the summer, I think a lot of the conversations that have been had have almost been too light. They've had to had to go back to the drawing board and kind of go. We need to do, need to do this. We need to. We need to think about this. Um, so the conversations are always happening, they're always ongoing. And yeah, hopefully it's all to a benefit and we can, we can progress the game together. No, that's really optimistic, actually. And um, just for, for our listeners as well, the window is now open, I think, for fans to 
contribute um, on the DCMS website. I'll put a link in the in the show notes for for this podcast about how you as a as a women's football fan can get involved as well. And I think it's important that fans have a have a voice in that alongside. As you say, I think it's great that the players and coaches are going to be talked to by Karen. Obviously, she's got a lot of experience in the game, and 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 DCS, DCMS have got a lot of experience running these kinds of reviews as well. So I'm sure. Hopefully that's something really positive will come out of that. And, and it's good to hear that the FA are kind of ramping up all of their plans as well. Because, like you say, it is an exciting time. So I just want to say thanks, Alex. I know you've only got a short amount of time and you've got training uh, to get to and stuff as well. Thanks a lot for your time this evening. No, thanks, Rich. Thanks for having us on. No problem. And please do check out uh, Rogue Report and all of the uh, women's football content on there. We'll have some articles coming up even during the international break. Uh, there's a few things for us to talk about. And check out the other podcasts as well. And also the Roker Rapport podcast. We've got a, an interview out with uh, Danny Graham, which uh, is a very good listen. Uh, if anyone hasn't heard that, please go to the Roker Rapport podcast feed and you'll be able to hear that. So um, thanks to everyone for listening and thanks again, Alex. And we'll speak to you all later. Ta-ra. Still haven't had